Happy Jack's RPG Podcast, a roundtable discussion that's a mix of friendship, humor, unbridled enthusiasm, and tabletop RPG topics sent in from around the world. Just for another role. Hello, and welcome to Season 32, Episode 5 of the Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. My name is Kimmy. I'm Clara. And we have with us today an amazing guest who is... Hi, I'm Jess. And Jess is our incredible indie designer of this month. It's amazing. Two months in a row, we've actually had our indie designers on the show with us. I feel like I'm starting to get this whole thing like worked out and together. It's very exciting. I feel very organized. And we're very excited you're here. And yeah, I'm going to fan girl all about you in just a minute. So in today's episode, Davi loves games in a box for conventions, but wants some system suggestions. Actual Jesse asks about crafting in TTRPGs. Steffi from Scotland has some amusing suggestions for classifying games. And if you'd like to contribute a question or topic to the show, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. Announcements? Until the end of June, you can still fill out our survey about what you love and hate about us. If it's all hate, that's fine. That's still very helpful. If it's all love, that's great. That helps make up for the hate from other people. So if you go to happyjacks.org slash survey until the end of June, you can share all your feelings, good or bad. And it's anonymous, so you can be really, really honest about it. So please do that. It helps us make better products. It applies to this show. It applies to our actual plays. It applies to just how you feel about us in general in life. If you've stopped listening to the show, you're not hearing this anyway, but you should still fill it out. And if you are still listening to the show, please fill it out if you haven't yet. Do it. Okay, now the exciting part. Our Indie Designer of the Month for June is the amazing Jessica Markram, who's at Miss underscore Jess03 on Twitter and Angry Nerd Girl on Twitch. And you can find all her stuff at angrynerdgirl.itch.io or all her independent stuff. But she's done so much stuff. Like, so many things. So Jess, why don't you just say hello and tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, I'm Jess. My pronouns are she, her, and I write games and I spent nine hours in the car today. So (laughs) hello. Hello. (laughs) Happy to be here. Yes. See, we're from LA. So it's like when you spend nine hours in a car, you get like four miles here. So it's a very different experience. I went through several states. Oh, okay, well, <laughs> that's very productive of you in four hours. Eight hours, whatever. Well, we're very glad you're here. And so a couple of the things, I feel like you and I have been mutuals forever, so I don't actually have any memory of how I became aware of your work. I think, yeah, yeah I've just like been like obsessed and like we chat Honestly, on Twitter. I think it was over like Wonder Woman or something. Yeah, it that was, is yeah. 100% a thing. <laughs> That's very possible. <laughs> this is the least surprising thing I've ever fucking heard. I make a lot of we my friends. We both just up. really liked Wonder Woman. We, yeah, and then we we're like, oh, we both games. <laughs> Lots of games, yeah. And then we're both like designers. So it's just been like this like this parallel internet path for so long. So it's great mm-hmm. to actually like chat with you in person. And also you've done some yes, really- Yes, I am here in the room. In the room. <laughs> Look, the right here. Room. We see you. You're there. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> so- we talked about your game, Oops All Draculas, last week on the show, which is very oh. fun and amazing. 
this week, I think we're going to have to talk about a specific one we were mentioning a moment ago, but we'll go back to it in a second. I do want to talk about some of your other work that isn't just indie design. They're indie-ish projects, but you've been a contributor to the Uncaged collection, which is now a collection, which makes me so happy, a couple different times. Can you like yeah. talk to us a little bit about that project and why you thought it was important to kind of contribute and be part of that? That was actually my introduction to tabletop design. One of my friends who'd been playing in a campaign of mine for a while told me about Ashley's call for writers and was like, you love fantasy and mythology and you care a lot about feminist stuff. You should pitch for this. And I was like, yeah, but I don't know how to write campaign. And she was like, "Uh, well, you GM, so just write down that. It's the same. And it's not the same, but it's the same enough. So I pitched and was lucky enough that Ashley took me. So I got in volumes one and four. And then when Gwen and David decided to make Uncaged Goddesses and like end the series officially, uh, they asked me to come on as writing director and like help mentor writers for that project. So that was really fun. Yeah. So, and... It was such an epic ending. So for those who may not know, the Uncaged series and anthology, the Uncaged anthology is content for fifth edition that is kind of a feminist spin on things. So Uncaged Goddesses, which is the the like final thing. And I know I'm not usually the biggest 5e fan, but I'm a big fan of these and I actually own a few of them, even though I don't know if I actually own the player handbook for 5e. I don't know. I bought but, my first adventure <laughs> to pitch for Uncaged, like my first D&D adventure. To because see, yeah. I, yeah, I was like, how are these written? Mm-hmm. But they're like a feminist spin on traditional things. So Uncaged Goddesses, which is the most recent one, it's like you pick a goddess. It was from D&D. It was all D&D goddesses that you yes. kind of turned on their heads. So most of the yeah. evil goddesses, if you look them, they have the blank bitch as one of their names. So like Umberly is the sea bitch. Yeah. There's the night bitch. And yeah, we wanted them to tell their stories. Yeah. And it was, it was and most amazing. of them are goddesses of trickery as well, because they're sexy and sexy <laughs> women are always trying to trick you. Right. Yeah. With their seductivity. So yeah. Sweatpants, like, yeah. yeah. Like, all right. <laughs> But yeah, no, and I, I think that's one of the reasons that it's such an important project. And I, I wish that, and I know there are other projects in that vein, but it was, it really got a lot of kind of traction and attention, which I thought was amazing. Because that's one of the things that's hard for me about 5e general, generally. Like one, it's like, there's that stuff in it. There's that stuff baked in it. And while people are trying really hard to kind of, some people, some people are trying really hard to kind of pull those elements out of it or create things that, don't use those elements. It's still sometimes kind of hard to just ignore it or get over it. Or like you hit something in the player's handbook that you're like, oh, okay. Eh." The story of the harpy is so upsetting in the player's handbook. Yeah. Oh, why don't you tell it? Like (laughs) Harpy fell in love with, I think it was Fenrir Mestrine and loved him and just followed him around because he was so pretty. She wasn't a harpy then. She was an elf. And so one of the goddesses, now I'm showing my bad goddess lore. It's been over years since I edited 21 goddess adventures. Yeah, (laughs) Um, you're fine. Was like, well, hey, I'll give you a beautiful voice so you can win him. And she sang 
and he ignored her. So then she was like, I spit on the gods and their gifts and was turned into a harpy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the, she ostensibly because she spurned the gift of a god, but really because she couldn't get a man's attention. Yeah. What, what else is left in life if you can't get one dude's attention? Like, why not just throw it all away? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Real, don't make it. And Medusa, their take on the Medusa is like, People who were so vain in life. Yeah. Yeah. That they are now cursed to live forever in service of their own vanity. I will say, I almost, this is the one thing it has going for it. It is better than being cursed for doing literally nothing. True. Yeah. <laughs> At least for something that happened first. to you. Yeah. Yeah. Like a slight climb up, but like, yeah. The bar is on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And banshees are another one where it's like, oh yeah, yeah, these were beautiful elves who are now cursed because they're so pretty. They just didn't pay attention to anything else. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, oh. And so a lot of yeah. the uncaged adventures that used banshees specifically went back to the original Irish folklore of them being like heralds of the dead and stuff, which those were fun. I really yeah. like that. There's a history in like the D D monster manual has and just the D D lore in general has a habit of when it was written, taking lore and stuff from cultures that didn't necessarily want their lore taken and then made it worse. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, like a half-baked understanding. Like, oh, like what you'd get in like a Google search, but they didn't have Google then, but like a very brief, yeah. like kind of a, over, like a, probably written by somebody who wasn't even of that culture. And then, oh, I'll take this and then I'll twist it and make it, it's just like, yeah. Yeah, like the word phylactery, like, Phylacteries are Jewish items that are part of like just our week, uh, like weekly prayer. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. but like they've used, it's used for liches in the D&D mm-hmm. world. And it's one of my favorite things because the overlap is just amuses me now. But there are a lot of people in the Jewish community who are like, man, I wish they didn't do that. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. 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 So like the whole uncaged thing is, it's been great to see something. It's hard sometimes to get things like that really getting attention in the D&D world. So it was really awesome to see that series and that anthology. Sorry, it's an anthology. Uncaged anthology. We were so surprised. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I loved it from the start, but I was surprised as someone who is kind of familiar with tabletop mm-hmm. and to watch it then like kind of launch Blow as up. it did. Yeah, that was amazing. And then everybody started doing anthologies, which was also <laughs> kind of great because that got a lot of people like, new writers coming in and new editors coming in, which was really cool. Yeah. And I think that there's been a little bit of a breath of fresh air from projects like that. When you guys really showed that you can like, like switch it up and really use a very specific voice to tell mm-hmm. things. And I think that kind of gave a lot of different groups hope that they could also do something similar, which is important. It's also the response has been nice seeing how it's changed over the years because obviously the first book there was great positive response but there was also a lot of negative feedback mm-hmm. of people okay. who are angry that I think it's Cat Evans adventure has when you're creating NPCs on the fly he put in a role table for gender mm. and was like just roll for their pronouns kind of thing and people are like why are you forcing me to play like as a non-binary person are they really likely to come up on a nine or a 10 on a D10 kind of thing? Like nonsense like oh, that. Oh boy. Forcing a woke feminist agenda. People weren't saying woke as an insult that back then. It was more yeah. like feminazis. Yeah. And 
they were forcing lesbians into their D&D kind of thing. All of the good people are lesbians. All the bad people are men. And we're like, (laughs) okay, man. (laughs) But with goddesses, it's been universally positive feedback or at least like on the con like on the reviews on the page itself mm-hmm. so people aren't buying the the adventures to be mean to them <laughs> the way they were like five <laughs> years ago i mean if they're buying them right we were like, like <laughs> okay. thanks man yeah i'm gonna cry into your 20 bucks Thank you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it, i think yeah i wonder if that was a kind of because they had already kind of been used to it. Like this happened once they got really angry about the mm. first one and then it had continued. And then it's right, like, by then, three more. Yeah. And then the, by then it's like, oh, well, my yelling into the void of the internet doesn't seem to be stopping this. Or if it was a difference because it was like goddesses, they, I don't know, that's interesting. I think a lot of people have felt more, especially in the last couple of years, have really felt more empowered to like tell their own stories in mm-hmm. the mediums they love. Like d and I... Tabletops overall, but D&D specifically has seen a resurgence of a lot of like POC and queer folk who are just yeah. trying to like make their story known. I will say as a queer person like who plays d and I didn't occur to me that that was like a thing that people weren't doing. Like, oh, <laughs> I was yeah. like oh yeah, I guess warlocks are, can be straight. That's an option, I guess. That's crazy. <laughs> but why? <laughs> but why? What? Seems yeah. incorrect. <laughs> Yes, it's there's still a long way to go, but it's definitely better. Oh, for sure. And it's but like I feel like projects like the Uncaged series and all of the like mm-hmm. and also just like more visibility because more visibility has meant just more people are playing. Mm-hmm. I've definitely empowered people to want to tell their own stories, which has been nice. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. So Uncaged obviously is like the thing that I think maybe I'm wrong, but I think that's like the the biggest name thing you've done. So and it's also super feminist, which is why I want to talk about it. <laughs> Because it's probably the biggest name thing that I've been involved in, like the production side Mm -hmm. for. I don't know. I think maybe the age of uh, Warhammer, age of their Soulbound, age of Sigmar starter set. Oh, yeah. That that's one that is in game stores Mm because like, I mean, I have other stuff in game stores. I was just on a trip. And I went to a bunch of game stores that where I was like, where's your RPG section? And they were like, oh, the D&D's over there. Oh. And and they were like all board games and magic. And then they would have like five D&D books. But there was one and they had like D&D and Warhammer games and then Avatar. (laughs) Yeah. And I tweeted about that. I was like, huh, okay. (laughs) And I just feel very happy because my friendly local game store has like a massive independent RPG section. That's, That's amazing. great. But yeah, so even like the, we only have a D&D section, I have one game in that <laughs> store. <laughs> I mean, one's more than 99% of the population. So that makes you, D- <laughs> that basically makes you D&D famous. <laughs> you know how that works. <laughs> yes. There are like five of, there are like five writers for things. People don't know. <laughs> this is bad. I'm. Uh, so, I mean, again, <laughs> I'm only. Well, I was age. laughing about all these huge combat games, and then like Avatar PBTA game being there, and I was like, singing one of these things is not like the others. And my partner was like, "Yeah, because you wrote one of them." And I was like, <laughs> "No, but that's very sweet." Yeah, <laughs> I meant Avatar. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, Avatar is just such a big property. Yeah, like I don't yeah. think there's any way you could have a property with that much like nostalgia and following and like loyalty without having it be 
No matter what system they'd picked. You've broken my tiny mind by saying Avatar is nostalgic. Yes, it is. That's upsetting. That's upsetting. It's fine. Oh, young one. (laughs) I know. Welcome. Welcome to the first of many, many times that this will happen to you. Um, And then when people start advertising to you for it, then you'll just like, son of. And then they play the music where you're like, oh, this is my. Oh, 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 this is the oldies channel. When you hear your bops played in the grocery store. So bad. Uh, <laughs> someday, dear. Yeah. Someday. It's <laughs> fine. No, it's, I'm waiting for the day that like game systems come out and people are like, it's crazy. I would love to see like a combat oriented game. <laughs> and you're just <laughs> like, back in my day, we had to force role play. <laughs> <laughs> Your lips to the goddess's ears, my dear. <laughs> but no, I mean, so lots of people still enjoy fighting games. And I, I mean, I, I also have the, a hankering once in a while for a big crunchy combaty system. Like we all have our our moods that way. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. I love I love crunchy combat. I just like don't like crunchy combat if no one else is on like ready for it because I just want to stare at a grid for like six <laughs> hours. And I don't like that. And it's such a majority of the market is the thing. It's like mm-hmm. that anything that's not that way is considered less than because yeah. it's such a big chunk of the market. That's the thing that bothers me about it. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, otherwise, like, I'm an itch bitch. So, like, <laughs> all of my games are digital. And mm-hmm. I don't understand what this going to a game store is like. <laughs> See, now we have to make an anthology about Clara so that Clara is no longer referred to as a something bitch. Oh, like, that's true. Right? No, I'm probably going to be an itch okay. bitch. Okay. Because, again, we've talked okay. about this. So you have a margarita. You go on itch.io. <laughs> and then you just download whatever's interesting. And then the next morning... You've bought yourself a bunch of presents. Yes. <laughs> if it's a self-given I bitch, I, I think it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then like drunkenly, like, hey, hey, Clara. Hey, look what I found. Look what I found. <laughs> <laughs> it's really confusing when like I'll get up really early in the morning and I'll like, it'll be sitting there waiting for me when I'm like up with my toddler and like very sober the next morning. <laughs> and I'm like, what is this? What? How did, what? Okay. Okay, girl. It's just full chat logs. and just link. <laughs> But okay, fine. Why do they make a game about that? Yeah. <laughs> why did they? Why not? Why not? Yeah. Okay, so a game about anything. You can't. So speaking back to writing games. So mm-hmm. you said that the NK series was kind of your introduction to designing and writing stuff for games. Yeah. Uh, but you have an amazing resume, and you also have a very, very amazing, very entertaining, attention-grabbing itch page, which is one of my favorites. Oh, thank you. The titles are just like, oh, I want to see. I want to click on that. I want to find, I want to see what that is. So how did that kind of... people do such cool stuff with their itch pages and mine is like so basic. I'm just like, here's the games that I made. Yeah, but it's got like, but I think that's the game, the title of the games are the things that really grab me. But we're jumping ahead because I wanted to ask you kind of like, how did that transition go from working on something that was for 5e, very like the Mm -hmm. 500 pound gorilla in the room to I'm going to make tiny little games about having too many Draculas in one house. Like, how did that go? It was a couple of things. First, it was because Uncaged blew up and people started reaching out to hire like Uncaged designers for things. But that was usually for like 5e or 5e adjacent mm-hmm. things. But Allison Wong, who's Drazilian on Twitter, is one of the Uncaged designers. I'm lucky enough to get to play with her almost every week on Three Flings, which is also at this time, beyond usually on this day. But she is known as the Game Jam Queen of Australia. And she introduced me to Game Jams. 
where you basically are given a theme and I'm actually running a game jam right now. So get a game in in the next like 24 hours of being given a theme and make a TTRPG within a certain time limit with certain parameters. Mm-hmm. And at first it was really daunting because I was like, I just make whatever I want. But the theme is really helpful. And then taking like the Uncaged template and kind of smashing it together with templates from other game systems that I know and love. Like the first one I did was Squad Goals, which was a PBTA game. And that I just kind of looked at the way PBTA games I knew and liked were laid out mm-hmm. and tried to mimic that in Google Docs and yes. Word because David Markuski does a lot of my layout and you can always tell when David has done layout for me mm-hmm. or when I have done it for myself because David does beautiful layout and I use Google Docs. <laughs> <laughs> that was for the Folklore Jam, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. I didn't realize that that was like kind of your first indie yeah. of your on your own because that was the first time I tried designing anything too. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. So that's that's very funny. I think oh because you did Vixens and Virgins and Vixens. Virgins and Vixens. Yeah. I love that one. Yeah. So we, and I love that we both like I keyed in on your game right away. I think partially because I like kind of was aware of you because we were mutuals. But like I was also like, oh feminist game. Oh okay. Yeah. Like, like we're like buddies. <laughs> so that's very funny. Okay. Just like something about that, that theme, like kind of like inspired both of us in a similar yeah. direction. That's interesting. I'm on your itch now. <laughs> okay. There are tiny animals on one of these, which I automatically have to record. Is it tiny terrors? Cottage critters. Yeah. She, she, Claire, uh, oh yeah. Clara has an obsession with games where you can play tiny, tiny animals. I just want to be a tiny woodland creature. <laughs> Um, bad. Yeah. So yeah, I really liked your squad goals game. That was one of the, mm-hmm. the my, one of my favorites from Folklore Jam, which now feels like it was 800 years ago, even though it was only like it was five years ago. <laughs> I don't know. It wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Uh, but I do want to talk about your game that like immediately Clara like <laughs> looked at your page and was like, we have to talk about that one, which is just gals being comrades. <laughs> so I'm just going to like read this this little pitch. And I know I asked you a bunch of questions on our Patreon interview about this one because I really liked, I liked this one too. It caught my, caught my attention. So the time has come for revolution. There are only days before you and your comrades rise from the alleys and seize the means of production at last. Who knows what will happen after that? If you'll even survive, only a few more days with her. So it's GMless game for one or more players. It's so cheesy. I love it. It's so good. It, Come on. It's so funny because like in 2023, this is like, yeah, good for her. Yeah, pride. This is also an 80s like lesbian horror film. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh lesbian like red dawn. <laughs> yeah, lesbian communists, like folia, folia 1960s through 80s, like horror novel or whatever. Oh wow. I want to do one where it's like hunt for red October but it's a submarine full of lesbians <laughs> and they've like stolen a sub and they are like off trying to like get to like wherever they need to go. It'd be amazing. Sorry. I'm trying to come up with a punny name and I'm really failing, but there's one there. There's something there. We'll yeah. get to it. Go down below. Yeah. <laughs> that might be too, a little, <laughs> a little too much. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Deep dive. I'm just thinking of Crimson Tide. Which is <laughs> <Yeah. not> really- <laughs> it 
there you go. <laughs> oh no. Oh, there's a lot of things, but yes. My I, high I, school swim girls swim team had t-shirts that said uh, oh. girls swimming always wet and ready. Oh my God. Are you a swim? Are you a swimmer? I'm not, oh, okay. but I was a dancer and we uh. were in the same basement as the swimmers. <laughs> Oof. Claire and I are both like ex-water polo swimmer people. So, but oh, I, nice. I appreciate that shirt a lot. Like, oh, man. a lot. <laughs> I, so yeah, much. I got a cricket. I got <laughs> Okay, sorry. So back to this game that we are now like spiraling out of control. You're too much fun to talk to. So it uses a tower kind of like a star cross, right? Where you have a Jenga yeah. tower and you pull out a block and that like builds the tension mm-hmm. until like the thing happens. It's one of my favorite mechanics and it's so good for like I romance block towers. so good right and it's also but just like very satisfying like confessing your love when the block tower falls like yeah. the block tower falls and it's the revolution in this one and like will you have confessed your love before that happens yeah i love that that's that uncertainty so like maybe your love story resolves with the revolution starting and you never say you never it. tell <gasps> oh, it's goosebumps. just pining the whole time oh god it's so good it's so good yeah, so you draw cards and mm-hmm. just from a regular deck. And, but I, I put in a couple of prompts. It was for, I wrote it for D36, where we had like kind of limited space. It was like a thousand mm-hmm. words, write a thousand ish words based on red, whatever red prompts to you. And I was like, lipstick, communists <laughs> together. <laughs> lipstick, communists. That's the new movie. There you go. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's the 60s movie. That's the 60s that's it. Movie. Yeah. <laughs> and, but yeah, so if you draw a red card, you have like a romantic interaction. And if you draw the uh, like ace of hearts or the queen of hearts, you confess your love. But any black card is just doing revolutionary activities. Describe what you did. That's cool. Did you fuck. like deliver food? Did you do a gun run? Like, mm-hmm. what did you do that day? That is so cool. And like, it really just came from like color red. Like that's the prompt. And that just came like the whole game came from that. Yeah, it was just that is so red. Cool. That is so perfection. That's amazing. <laughs> that is so fucking cool. D36 has some really cool stuff in it. Most other people did like dug deep into body horror and wrote a lot about like blood or hmm. there was one that's like, I think it's hair specs or something. It's like reading, like telling about how a person died by reading their organs, stuff like that. Oh. Laura Evans wrote a cool one that was closer to the way I was inspired, but they went French Revolution style. And you know that famous drawing of like the old ladies knitting in front of the guillotine? Yeah. Mm-hmm. In this, in Lore's game, you play as those old ladies. That's very cool. <laughs> That's very good. That is very, very good. Or alternately, I think you play as someone who's about to be guillotined and the old ladies are like talking shit at you. <laughs> That's worse. <laughs> Did you? Like the old ladies are just too tired to throw the vegetables. They're just gonna yeah. bitch at you. Did you come up with the system as well, or is that part of? Yeah, I I really liked Starcrossed. I wasn't sure how to do this. I hadn't actually played Starcrossed, but I have seen it and read it, and I can't find anybody to play it with me. I but... have, and it has almost ruined my relationship. <laughs> oh no! I'm a bad role player sometimes. You're not. You're a very good role player, but you don't necessarily. I don't flirt well. <laughs> mm, it's complicated yeah okay <laughs> so we're to but blame. I didn't want to like directly read it because I didn't want to like rip off Alex's yeah. game yeah. right and I'd made 
wretched and alone games, but I was like, I don't want this to be like an alone game. I want it to be like a two or more person game because who knows, you could be an entire cadre of lesbian communists working together and just kind of went with the tower falls and the thing happens and building that pressure. And I was thinking more of like when I've played Dread, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I ended up rehacking it for, I think it was a nunnery jam, get thee to a nunnery. And it was all about gay nuns. So that's why I have, (laughs) and they were daughter mates, the other version of that. But in that one, you're nuns and you're, convent's about to be shut down from like when uh, either the French revolutionaries or like when Henry VIII stripped all of the monasteries or convents. So that one's a little different because the revolutionary aspect is out of your control. Mm -hmm. So you're just doing none things or like hearing rumors about other convents getting shut down. But Mm. do you go live a life not as a nun anymore? Do you survive? Do you confess your love? Do you stay faithful to God? Oh my God. Do you be gal pals in a village? Right. So <laughs> just gals being pals in a yeah. village casually. <laughs> Amazing. And yeah, I, I, I love that game. It's, it's very good. <laughs> and they were daughter mates. I obsessed. Yeah. Right. This, <laughs> right. this is what I said. Like the titles, like you scroll through the itch page and you're just like, they're so good. The titles are so good. I don't know if it's because Jess is like, one day I'll meet this bitch named Clara and she has no self control and has bought like four <laughs> games now on her phone. But like, <laughs> All of these titles are so fucking good. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I fought for just gals being comrades at first because Chris was like, I'm just going to call it comrades. I think it's catchier. And I was like, no. That leaves out a very important aspect of it. Like, yes, just gals being comrades is it's vital. Yeah. And then later they got back to me and were like, I read the game. I get it now. Okay, I get it. It stays. (laughs) I was like, thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Can I ask about the WLW system? Yeah, that's the system that I used. I just had other people asking if they could make Just Gals Being Comrades games. And I was like, oh, this is a game system then. And I didn't want to... I felt kind of weird because it is so similar to The Wretched and Starcrossed. Mm-hmm. And you, but you can't like copyright mechanics. But I was like, hey, if you want to make a game about lesbians in the face of revolution or queer people in general because like i'm not a lesbian i'm bi but if you want to write about queer people and do they confess their love before a revolution or a big political event happens here's a system for that and i couldn't think of what to call it i kept thinking like do i call it like just gals no because that excludes a lot of people just pals that's kind of silly and i already have the buddy system (laughs) and then i was like well screw it i'll call it like the WLW system. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, we love in whispers. Ah. So, I love that there's a demand for, uh, like I said, people are just coming out and telling their own stories now. I love that there's demand for the we love in whispers system because people are like, you know, what's really hot right now, tearing down the systems that we yeah. all know and hate and yeah. also kissing our friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're the voice of a generation. Yes. <laughs> I'm not even being, I'm not even kind of being sarcastic about this. this is, I'm like, no, that's about right. <laughs> oh, no. That was okay. a question on my Northwestern application when I was applying for college was who is the voice of your generation and why? Wow. <laughs> I wrote about Britney Spears. Excellent. That's a good choice. Honestly, that's yeah. good. I like that. I respect that. Mm-hmm. I will mm-hmm. say it. This is the early 2000s that seemed apropos. 
I will say that your itch page kind of establishes like, yeah, this is about what me and my friends are about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> we got there. Yeah, amazing. All right, so we have to go on. There's emails. We have a whole podcast we still have to do <laughs> after talking with Jess about all her amazing stuff. So please go to angrynerdgirl.itch.io. There's also a link there to jessicamarkramwrites.com, which mm. is her main page where it, she lists all the other stuff she does too and buy her stuff. And we'll talk about more of her games next week. It's very exciting. And now on to emails. Ooh, can and I drop questions. one slug real quick? I'm oh, yeah. sorry. Do the thing. The stream that I do on Fridays during mm-hmm. this time, Three Flings, we're doing an all month long fundraiser for Pride. Uh, for the Montana Two Spirit Society. Awesome. And we're doing a raffle with a lot of giveaways. So I'll post links in the chat thing. But basically, they don't have a Tiltify because Tiltify is sometimes harsh to small orgs. So if you just donate to the Montana Two Spirit Society and then email us at threeflings at gmail.com or DM us at threeflings on Twitter, you'll be entered in a raffle to win a pride icon made by Alison Wong Drazilian a sticker of art by Zan Larson and Just Gals Being Comrades by me. That's so cool. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely do that. And I love, we do stuff for Rainbow Railroad usually, like once a year. We try not to pick pride because that's like when a lot of people are raising money. So we like try and do it like in the off season because we're just like too cool to do whatever else. I don't know. It's just, (laughs) it's also like pride's at the end of the school year for me and I'm a fourth grade teacher and that's just like way too much stuff for me to plan. So like the end of summer is when I have brain space. So, oh, mods will, tro- will drop it in the chat. But yeah, I, donating directly to the organization is so great because they then they're getting all the money and minus sometimes a little bit of processing fees. But a lot of times when you go through third-party apps and stuff, they pull out chunks and it's less money for the people. So way to do it. I appreciate that. And yeah, we're thinking of maybe moving the shows to Sunday nights fairly soon. So then everyone who's used to hanging out with us on Friday nights can hang out with you on Friday nights as long as all the people who hang out with you on Friday nights come hang out with us on Sunday nights. Because <laughs> I uh, totally send them your way. Amazing. Yeah, because I've got a three-year-old and it's just, a, it's it's a hard, like get her in bed before we start at 7.30. It's like, whew, oh, very yeah. stressful. So it's like Sunday, chill. It'll be nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, back to actually the point of our podcast, which is actually like gaming, not stories about my child. Well, but I mean, sort of like, I don't know. 80-20? Yeah. <laughs> right, mailbag number one. Do you want to read this one, Claire? Yeah, I can read it. Okay. <clears throat> Greetings, Jackers and Jackats, and, huh, whatever the non-binary term would be, Jackays. Anyway, <laughs> originally from the Discord, but someone suggested writing it as a letter. So as I plan on going to, as I plan going, on going to, to Strategicon, I speak English well, I promise. I remember something... Um, you said Jack Hay, and I just went back to the 80s and got really excited and happy. So, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I remember something some of us used to do for Bay Area conventions. Basically, put together a game in a box. Basically, we put together a game in a box. A four-hour session that you can run in open gaming or wherever. This gives you something to do during slow times, and you'll attract like-minded gamers, which increases everyone's fun and the chance to find others who are interested in maybe running something similar. Our go-to back in the day was Champions. However, not that many folks know the hero system that well. And in a four-hour slot, I'm not sure I wanted to teach a complex system to people. As such, in today's gaming culture, what system would people choose to run as a pickup game? It should be something that can be run easily, either commonly known or easy to learn, and something you enjoy and wouldn't mind investing energy into. 
Uh, just curious as I was playing with these ideas, and none of the systems I usually use really fit the bill these days. And this is from Davi. Oh, I like Davi. All right. So I love the idea of like a game in a box, like a whether it's like not literally like a game in a box, but like something that you can just pull out right away. Like you have a story, you have like the baddies or whatever you can kind of skin however you want and you can just like run it right away. I don't, I don't know. I feel like torn on that. Like what would be a good system? I'm about to tell on myself so hard. Do it. Monster of the week. (laughs) Full stop. (laughs) Monster of the week. I can run pretty much without, I I do prep, but I have several storylines and stuff, like one shots that I have kind of just logged back in my, wherever I store my memories and thoughts. (laughs) And partially because I loved Monster of the Week media, so it's just, I'll watch an episode of Buff and be like, that would be a great Monster of the Week game. And we've done it. And mm-hmm. like, I'm done. I have no prep to do. I have nothing. And I find that PBTAs, especially because they are all so strictly linked to genre, mm-hmm. do a really good job of taking people who are like, I don't really know what I'm here to do mm-hmm. and gives a direction, a vibe, and a tool set for solving a problem that is gives you just enough rails to be like, I know how I interact with the world and just enough freedom to say, to let them do fuck all. Yeah. And also I don't have to roll anything, which is super important to me because I roll like shit. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think one of the other good things about PPTA games, I'm gonna pick something different, but it's kind of like a menu. It's not like you, you can kind of read what each thing does and they're like, I'm going to try this. And they just say, like, it's like, I want the spaghetti and meatballs. Can I try the spaghetti and meatballs, Clara? And you're like, yes, the spaghetti and meatballs, roll 2d20 and we'll see if you spaghetti and meatballs or whatever it yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> That's basically it. And it's because most people who go to these conventions tend, like, to cons and stuff, tend to be familiar with Monster of the Week style shows. I feel like every person I come across has a an opinion on like supernatural even if it's not like a good one you can at least get someone involved in a story pretty quickly mm-hmm. so I'm not so like that's always been my go-to just most PBTA games again like you said they have a menu you can build a bear at yourself like grab and it's really easy to teach with very little prep yeah yeah and a little bit of alcohol and a little bit of alcohol <laughs> what do you think Jess what would you pull out I, so in April, we played all no prep games on Three Flings. So I have a whole lot of Do answers. It. Tell us. Hold on, taking um, notes. There's, and these are all free as well, actually. I'll start with the free ones, then give you two that aren't free. Mm-hmm. Uh, Skull Wizards of the Chaos Caverns is a game that uses Mad Libs to create your characters, pretty much. It's like, give me a noun and... A verb, and then that becomes your stats and your class, and it's very fun and silly. Then we did You Awaken in a Strange Place, mm. which is also similarly Mad Libby. You decide as a group what your skills are going to be and create the world together. Mm-hmm. And I loved that. And basically, anything anyone says in the game is like becomes true as you're creating the world. So within like safety tool bounds, right? But you really create the world together instead of it putting the onus on one person. Mm-hmm. And another one was just roll for shoes where you're all like together. And if you fail a roll or if you succeed on a roll, then you have that thing. And it's like a magical special thing. Those were all really fun. 
I would also say, of course, Honey Heist and its many different versions and lasers and feelings. I've written one. It was called Dumpster Fire. You all play as trash animals <laughs> defending your dumpster from various... I wrote it in 2020. So it's actually called Dumpster Fire, a game for 2020. Yeah. But yeah, that's... All of those pretty much have role tables for like problems that might occur. And we just played a different D&D last week called Dads and Decks. And your two stats are dad and deck. And you have barbecue problems. And it was so fun. <laughs> That's amazing. We played oh it gosh. as the dream daddies. Of course. <laughs> of course you would. I love that. I was so, fine. Yeah. Any of those. I think PBTA is really fun. But if you want absolutely no prep whatsoever, mm-hmm. I totally recommend any of those. See, I think... I like no prep games, but I do like, and I like that like PBTA you can play and you can like build the characters at this, at the table. I feel like, I don't know, I, I, for me, I like things sometimes that are a little more crunchy, especially mm-hmm. if I'm going to pull it out with friends. Like, cause most of the time, like at the end of a con or like in between games at a con, it's not, it's not generally strangers. It's like me and my friends, like, Hey, I have this thing. Like, I want to show you the thing. And I think I would probably pull out a wild talents game at least right now, because it's really easy to reskin. It's it's very crunchy to start. But if it's like what Davi's talking about, like a game in the box, I've gone to cons where I have some character sheets, like pre-done characters. And all you do is just like skin them to be what you want. Like there's a couple of like things of hit points that will eventually be some form of opponent. Like maybe they're super angry robots or maybe they are like amazing fighty like lesbian comrades. I don't know what they are, but whatever they are, because they are just a number, they're a set of stats. There's not like in PBTA, there's not like, the, you know, there's nothing connected between them or making them characters. It's a really easy game that is a little bit more on the crunchy side, number side that you can just make into whatever you want in that moment which is something that I really love about it. And it was kind of my precursor to PBTA. I also love that the combats get really wild. (laughs) So that's one of my favorite things to just randomly pull out at a con. Plus, like, nobody's ever heard of it. Like, I mean, some people, there's a very small number of people who've actually heard of it or played it. So it's always fun to be like, hey, here's a crazy game that has, like, the most perfect, like, superhero, unpredictable combat ever. And it goes really fast. It's not a nightmare. So... I think that would be the thing that I would have if I had like an actual game in a box prep, like what Davi mentioned. I think that's what I would bring. I think in fairness, this is why I mentioned Pretty Pretty Princesses earlier, because it's like, <laughs> can I just figure out how to smash that into a box, a, a box game that I just take places and make people wear crowns? Yeah. My hesitation has always like a friend of mine swears by fate as the game that he brings to cons to like you got five minutes to kill or not five minutes, but you, you got four hours to kill because none of us made a uh, made it to another group. I always worry when it, and I have, I've only played Honey Heist. I haven't played any of the other like two Honey Heist alikes. I always worry with like strangers where I'm like, you have two stats, wolf and teen, and you can interact with anything as either a wolf or a teenager. And more specifically, like with fate, I feel like there's almost too much freedom. Yeah. But there's some games that I feel like you need to really trust the people you're playing with. Like, I love Monster Hearts, but I would not bring Monster Hearts to play with strangers. I would not bring Monster Hearts to play with, like, friends I have now. (laughs) Although, you know, I say that. Thanks. (laughs) But, like, 
I run Bluebeard's Bride for strangers like every month. <laughs> so I don't know. Well, and that's the thing is like, I know people who run horror games at cons and mm-hmm. horror games at cons are are kind of my nightmare. Like, I'm like, oh no, that, ugh. I don't want to know what you find scary. Yeah. So there's I, a lot yeah. of like vulnerability in horror on all ends. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's why like, I think having, so it's why like, like I like a little bit of rails for people because I just feel like sometimes I'll be like, we'll sit down with people. And even if I trust them, I'm like, how do you can interact with two, these two stats? Yeah, there's a lot of vulnerability in horror. And I think Monster Hearts is like the ultimate amount of vulnerability because so much of it is kind of empowering yourself from a time where you felt vulnerable and like oftentimes victimized. So a lot of times people are working through a lot when they're playing Monster Hearts, which is kind of its purpose. But I, would absolutely hesitate to ever try and something like that with people at a table, just partially because of my experiences at cons, which have been fabulous in the last couple of years. And back when I first started going to cons, back in old days, and you were probably, I don't want to know how to work. It was like, literally, you'd walk in a room and there'd be like three femi people. And they're like, cool. And everybody's like, oh, are you here with your boyfriend? Are you here with your husband? No, no, I'm not. My husband's up in the hotel room watching cable. He's not interested in gaming. Thanks. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I don't know. There's, it's, I, I'd be interested in what other people would choose. Cause I feel like, I feel like this is a question where there's not necessarily like, there's not a right answer. But like, I've played with people who can make GURPS, which is an incredibly crunchy system, country system, crunchy system, seamless. And it's just like your comfort level. Like you pick Monster of the Week because that's like, your yeah. thing. You know it well enough to make it seamless. And it's seamless enough, yeah. Yeah. Wild Talents is, to, is like kind of a go-to for me, even though I haven't run it in forever. And I feel like everyone's answer is going to be what they're comfortable with. Because honestly, at this yeah. point I'd probably run Oops All Draculas because that's what I've been running most recently. So much fun too. And it's <laughs> I, I feel like it's very like topical also with the movie that just came out and all that. Stuff. Yeah. I'm so so good. good. I know. So perfect. So yeah, I don't know. I think that's it's interesting. I'd I'd want I'd love to have people like write in and tell us what you would run and why. Yeah, no, I'm curious to see what people's like I can just whip this out game is. That came out weird. Only just cuz like again, it listen, it's we can't use Hogwarts houses anymore. I got to know what game you can just run. I like that. Mm-hmm. And there's a difference between like this is the game that I can just run like that versus like this is the game that I think would be the smart choice for strangers. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz like that's the other thing is like, I probably could fake my way through a game of Vampire the Masquerade. I'm not gonna. <laughs> if I had to and people were drunk enough, I could pull that off. <laughs> I, I would get the dice mechanic great because I remember that fine. Yeah. It'd be all the like small little rules in between there that you're like, hmm, this seems I right. I've been involved with so many session zeros for that game for campaigns that never began. So I have plenty yeah. of vampires ready to go oh, the, si- the cry of every single gamer ever is like i've been in so many session zeros that never panned out i just wait till you design a session zero game and you have to play test session zeros for like three years straight <laughs> oh my god we coined the term what what did we call it it wasn't campaign it, blue balls it was campaign blue balls it was like campaign edging where yep. like you get really excited for the campaign that the session zero made and it was like oh we're done now Yep, we're never playing that again until next time we play it with a whole new thing. And you're actually going to be excited about the game too, campaign too. 
Yeah. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Dobby. That was a very good question. Yeah, I think I will do that actually for next con. Maybe I'll try it for the one ring. I can't imagine the one ring being like a one shot, but I feel like the ne- I almost ran one at Strategic On. But I, I, I don't know. I feel like it's just like give it a shot. Like push my Tolkien improv skills to the max and see what I can do. All right. Yeah. All right. Mailbag number two. Do you have a preference on reading this one or the last? Oh, I'll read the last one. I won't. I won't. <laughs> I won't condemn you to that purgatory, Jess. Why don't you read number two? All right. Hello again, Jackie Happers. I'm here to ask your opinion on one of the great eternal dilemmas in TTRPG design. Crafting. Cue the violin stinger. I've been building a game for a while now, call me actual Ahab, and find myself up against the all-too-familiar wall, whether to put a crafting system in or cut it and hope players don't try to get cute. Personally, I feel like if a game is going to have a crafting system at all, especially in a game where open-world exploration and travel are baked in, it would feel a little cheap not to make it a system of the deep and rich TM variety. But how deep and rich does the system need to be to qualify as such? Is it the intricacy of the crafting or the amount of things that can be made or both? Do people even want crafting like this anymore? Do people even like crafting anymore? Am I so out of touch or is it the children who are wrong? (laughs) What are your thoughts on TTRPG crafting in the year of our Lord 2022? Oh, this is an old one. Yay? Nay? Do you prefer something deep and rich, TM, something simple, or none at all in your games? Do you think it's a good option to give players or do you think it's not hardly better than when players go shopping in town? Thanks always for the podcast. As a very long time listener, y'all are a constant source of laughs and good advice. Until next time around, keep your stick on the ice, actual Jesse. So I am going to admit that I am the MMO player. Like I spent so much of my life playing massively multiplayer online games and I never craft. Like I always make my crafting alts and I never play them because I hate crafting in MMOs. I hate it. Like I, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to log into a world and do a job. Do chores. <laughs> yeah. It's like, if I'm going to craft, I'm going to do something in real life where I'm going to like burn myself with a hot glue gun or whatever, but it's going to be real. So I, and my husband's the opposite. Like when we started dating, we were both obsessed with World of Warcraft and I was playing in this massive guild and I was like raiding. I was like on a raid team, all this stuff. And he was like super blacksmith who spent a huge amount of his day flying around on his mount, like mining. It was like the weirdest thing. I was like, okay, hey, you can come raid with me. And he's like, okay. And I'm like, (laughs) why isn't your build optimized? And he's like, well, I liked these. They went with my character. And I was like, okay. And then I, I like him. He's so I like, good. He's listen, so good. I love that. I know. I love that. <laughs> I love that in TTRPGs. I do not necessarily love that in MMOs. <laughs> like, I want you to like have that max DPS on my, <laughs> if you're on my raid team. But then I would like be like, oh, let's fly around together. It'll be fun. And it was just like, we're flying around in circles. He's like, yeah, if we do it at this certain pace, it respawns before we hit it next time. And he had like his, all his little timers going. It was just like, oh, this is hell. Oh, this is like MMO purgatory. I don't, what have I done? Oh, he's so sexy. Damn. Okay. I'm going to smile and pretend this is great. Cause we had like our little setup after we moved in together. It was like facing each other. And I was like, okay, okay. So I would never, ever want this in a TTRPG, (laughs) but I will talk about it. But that's my personal anecdote about crafting in gaming. I am your husband in gaming. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm, I don't like crafting. I hate it. But I also don't like equipment management. So I wear whatever glows the greenest in the thing. Yeah. And then I'm like, yeah, that seems correct. Yeah. I'm about, uh, this is my friend. I don't know if I've done the major, the big rant on a Happy Jack's advice show about this, but like, go for it. When someone brings up, like, like when you bring up the idea of crafting, unless it is kind of, unless like the system is about it or like one of, like if you're playing like an artificer in a D&D sort of thing, I could see why you'd want to do crafting. It's giving me Blades of Forged in the Dark vibes. And my opinion on Forged in the Dark is someone took a perfectly good PBTA and gave it anxiety. <laughs> and like, all I can think about now is like, I'm in a beam saber game and I'm sitting there trying to repair my mech and also like blow off some steam with a friend and also, I guess, heal my body. And I don't have enough energy to do all of it. And it like makes me frustrated because I had no desire to take care of my like haven as well. But now I have to do that. So like the idea of throwing, of purposely throwing crafting into a system that is already rich and deep TM somewhere else. Mm -hmm. I have to really, really want to place like if we're playing old ladies who do crafts and that's oh, the game we're playing. I would play that game. I want a robust crafting system. Yeah. I want all of our adventures to be going to the Joanne where we go buy the things <gasps> and you have X amount of coupons to spend and that's your energy, et cetera. Oh my gosh. However, if I and and you have to like spend a certain points of value to do like this really complex knitting pattern yeah. versus that one. Like I would play okay that I take my thing back. I would play that game all day. <laughs> but like the game has to be about I have that a game world. for you. <laughs> oh my gosh! Okay, <laughs> just it's like not I quite, wrote it now. No, it's not quite that because that should be a game. But I'm glad that you brought that up about the crafting being integral to the game because a game that I love that I don't see people getting like excited about i don't know why this game goes under the radar because it's so good is called threadbare and you play as toys in a post-apocalyptic world yeah the humans are dead you are the humans now and instead of leveling up you upgrade your parts mm -hmm. that's so, so cute and it is cute but it's also like really dark i would cry oh no like, that's, that's like the that's only want. <laughs> animals around are taxidermied animals and they're like horrifying. They're like the monsters. Yeah. But it's very fun. But in terms of inventory, there's only one box. You have stuff or you don't. Mm -hmm. And if you have stuff, you can up roll to upgrade a part. And if you a part of you gets broken, you can try and upgrade it while it's broken. But if it goes wrong, you'll get a glitch. And some of the glitches are pretty funny. Like maybe it's better now when you have wheels and you're faster, but whenever you get close to another person, you shout Merry Christmas at them or something. <laughs> I love that. But yeah, or you can repair it. And I love that because crafting like is the game. Like you're also exploring and your toys, mm -hmm. but the crafting is there. Yeah. There's games where I think it, they tried, but in a lot of adventure games, the reason that you have crafting is because you have an economy. Yeah. And so with a crafting system comes a robust economy. Like, are people crafting because their weapons are breaking? Because mm -hmm. then you need to have that. Or are they crafting because they want to sell things? Because that means you have to then give a robust economy with like commerce into your system. And that might be a whole can of worms you don't want to deal with. Some games do have specific classes. Like, I'm thinking The Witcher, 
has a merchant class and has like a blacksmith. Mm -hmm. But every time I played or run in The Witcher, nobody likes playing those classes. Oh, no. And honestly, the Witcher game is really difficult anyway. It's not not the most seamless system in ever written. <laughs> I, I have heard stories of it. I haven't tried myself because every time someone's like, it's rough. Yeah, yeah. The Witcher has one of the greatest character creations I've ever played through. I love yeah. it. And that is where it shines. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, sorry. It's just uh, now I'm thinking about like I have so many vampires I've never played, but yeah, the it feels very much like if you're going to add a robust crafting system. I didn't even think about the fact that like why are you crafting? Is it because you have no money? Mm-hmm. Do you need to do an economy thing? It like I loved. I played like an artificer in D and D where like my little goblin instincts were like, and I put this and this, this together, and now I made a buddy. I like that aspect. I know Lancer has kind of like a mech building, a droid building kind of part to it. That's about as much as I know about Lancer. But they're always characters, like character class specific. So I feel like throwing that in, which could easily be a separate expansion thing you do later. Mm -hmm. But unless like, again, if you're crafting as part of the game, if the game is about repairing yourself, if the game is about sharing crafts with other people, I think there's something there to it. But otherwise, it's too many hats. (laughs) Well, and if the game involves scarcity, like I'm currently playing in a heart campaign. And like when you're down in the Undercity, like if you're on a Delve, there's not a lot of places to like remove stress because you can't access your things. So my character class, I'm playing a witch, of course, has a thing where she can create like concoctions that can remove mind or blood stress, not fatigue, but Mm -hmm. stress. And so like a little patch up and that's useful because like you don't have, you don't have anything down there, but it's not a robust system. It's just like you take time and make a potion and now you have that potion Mm -hmm. and that's useful to you. So I think there's something to be said for that. Another way to do it is to make an entire mini game. Like I've seen games, a video game example is in Fantasy Life for Nintendo DS, which is so fun. They make Mm -hmm. baking like a whole mini game. But I've seen cooking games where it's like you have to perform little mini games to do it. That can be fun. It's just, what do you want your game to be? Yeah. Is crafting going to be a side thing that people do like during downtime? Or are they doing it to sell? Are they doing it because it's part of the game? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's often how crafting thoughts. That's often how I've seen it too. Is it done as like a downtime action or like yeah. a side a side hustle? It's got me now thinking about the idea of forcing each class to have a weird little side hustle thing they've got to do. And like, oh, like in uh, Warhammer Fantasy. Yeah. Apparently, <laughs> I haven't played it. Work but on yeah. your job. Yeah, you gotta adventures. go do job. Um, we'll do work. Yeah, or like having but giving every class a mini game. Yeah. I just like the idea of like you get your box and it has like a bunch of like crossword puzzles. It's like, complete this and you will have a new spell when you're done. Just weird shit it. like yeah. that. I know that it's funny because there's this is something that's been added on to a lot of systems. Like people want it, so they homebrew it a lot. I played a lot of Traveler and while Traveler doesn't have much crafting in there, like there are absolutely little expansions and source books that you can get for adding crafting into Traveler. I like I'm playing Witch plus craft, which was like a hugely successful Kickstarter. 
yeah. for 5e. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And like, I know there's, I haven't played a lot of it because I, I don't love talent trees too much, but I did play some Fantasy Flight at Star Wars. And there are also source books you can get for that where you can you can create stuff from that, even though there's not a ton of it in just kind of the basic game. So there's definitely a, a an audience for it. People want that in their RPGs. I think like repairs are more common. I know I was reading some Stars Without Number because I'm running a sci-fi game myself right now. So of course you go around and read all the stuff. So you make something that's different from those things. And there is a crafting element in that. I don't know exactly how it works, but I do remember reading about it. And yeah, so I know it, it's fairly simple. It's like based on the cost, I believe, like of the item, like how much it would be worth. And then, yeah, so there's definitely a group. A, I may not be the audience for it unless you're making a little ladies knitting game because then I am your target audience. That's <laughs> me. But there's definitely an audience out there. So if you're still working on this, like keep working on it. Don't give it up just because I don't like it in MMOs. I think the hardest part of it is like just thinking from a, a dynamics in game design is the resources piece of it. It's like the same problem with like regents when you're crafting, when you're casting spells, like a lot of people hand wave that and like, do you have one eye and three gold pieces <laughs> and a piece of hemlock? Like it's just such a pain to like constantly manage all that stuff. If you like that, then there's an audience for it. I will say I do like Lighthearted has the mechanic of like you need the light in the room. But if you play most of that game in daylight, then you don't have that doesn't come up. Yeah. I have now been committed to running games where that is a limited resource. I do like the scarcity of it. Mm-hmm. So I so think the that, magic's based on the light, right? Yeah. The okay, magic's based so on if you don't have light. light in the room, you can't cast a spell. Yeah. Okay. So the idea of having scarcity does appeal to me. I'm also, I will say this as it, in my LARP, I just pay someone else in-game money to manage all of my equipment. So <laughs> that's where we're at. Like, I just don't, my brain doesn't like tables. Mm-hmm. Unless it really likes tables. Those are the two modes. <laughs> Only tables, no tables. Only tables or no tables. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. I think that would be the hardest thing to figure out. Again, I'm in like sci-fi mode. So it's like my design, like they're on a ship. Like, if the thing you need to craft is not on the ship, good luck. Like you don't have a until you go to wherever you're gonna be, your SOL, you can't craft anything. So I think that would be the biggest hurdle to jump over, Jesse, in your in your design piece of like how how you're gonna work that. Are these things that come from nowhere? Do they create things whole cloth from nothing? Do they have to have the things? Are they always gonna have the things? Are you just gonna hand wave like you have a magic bag or a fairy who goes around with you and gives you yarn like <gasps> yarn fairy <laughs> yeah do you want to get into like inventory and yeah weight or do you want to do like the threadbare you have stuff or you don't have stuff yeah 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 <laughs> so like th- asking yourself all those questions and like you were saying just like then how does that weave into an economy is are these going to mm-hmm. be things that they use right then so you don't have to worry about like selling right. them or is it like think about what the point of the crafting will be what is the end goal of it and also even if you don't have it players are going to try and make stuff like how many times have you played a game where somebody killed a skeleton and then was like this arm is my new weapon <laughs> yes. almost exclusively <laughs> I like i put a rat this. on the arm of the skeleton and now it's a poisoned club and the gm's just like all right, your character thinks they have a poisoned club <laughs> yeah you got two uses of that and that's mostly bubonic plague <laughs> I listen almost exclusively. Like, yeah. 
I, well, I mean, that's why so many games have like use. I don't know. I can't think of the word like like a improvised weapon. Improvised weapon. I love improvised I'm weaponry. Like, it's my favorite thing. Yeah, like there's so many mechanics for that because it it is in the player's nature to be like. I'm going to use this stair to cut this thing. And you're like that, that mm. like, there's a reason I don't let people cut paper with my sewing scissors because you need sharp things to cut through rope. Like, let me tell you, but you know, <laughs> I'm now I'm just thinking about like, I, if you can loop bodies, you can craft, which is a whole new game. I've just thought of. <laughs> it's, we've written so many games already. This yeah. Time. We've written old ladies knitting loop bodies, make stuff. <laughs> Just saying, mm. post-apocalyptic, loot yeah. bodies, make things. Yeah. I mean, upcycling. Like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> so bad. It's so bad. All right. Mailbag number three. Greetings, Queen Kimmy and the Dark Legion. It is I. Totally. Yeah, you're the dark. <laughs> Both of you. Ha <laughs> That's us. It is I, a totally new person riding in and not Steffi from Scotland wearing a trench coat and a fedora. In season 31, episode 22, there was an email about reclassifying railroad and sandbox games. I find these classifications flawed as they are trying to describe two different things as if it is one. Listen, uh, leaning into video games is my example. Legend of Zelda or Kana of Time is both a railroad and a sandbox. It has a main quest that is very A to B. Not only do you have to collect all the things, but you have to do it in the right order, railroad. But it has a world that you can wander around in side quests, and hidden lore within that exploration. Sandbox. Well, I have not played Breath of the Wild, I am under the understanding that you can do the quest in any order you want. And then the BBEG, and then the BBEG, making it more of a sandbox than Orkana of Time. But you are still scripted to the BBEG battle at the end. Yeah, that's accurate. For story progression, I suggest four different classifications. Scripted. It's A to B. You have to do X before Y happens. You're going to hit a certain story beat or plot points. Players have no say in how the story goes. This may appeal to the players who want to kick in the door, kill the monsters, and take their stuff. They show off how, how good their min-max build is. It could be all they want in a game. That is me on a rating team in a minute, in an MMO. <laughs> to, uh, classification two, linear. This is a scripted, but it has more wiggle room. Yes, it is A to B but you get choices in how to go from A to B. You do have to do X before Y happens, but you decide how to do X, which may affect Y in some way. You hit certain story beats, but how you act on them is affects things later down the line. Sounds like Witcher 3. Yes. <laughs> three, fated, all paths lead to Rome or your BBEG. Maybe you have to go down a few paths in, or in order to get to all the things or you pick one path and it gets you to where you need to be from the for how the story ends. Four, branching. Imagine a bare tree. Many paths fray out and don't line back up again. Going down one closes off all other paths to you. But this is just story progression. Railroad and sandbox also imply how much exploring you can do within your world. I suggest four classifications here. What? Bottle. For the youths. A bottle episode is an episode of TV where to save on budget, the main cast would for some reason be trapped on the main set and everything happens in that small area. Here is ex the exploration is limited to story areas. You want to stretch your legs and walk through the village? The story will follow you there if the door, door is jammed, trapping you into the story. Two, dungeon. This is the dungeon crawl with more rooms than you are expected to explore with many hidden secrets. Again, you can only stay where the story is, 
but there is more to explore and to find that will enhance the story. This could be a whole world. Critical Role has many major cities that the players can choose to go around in the world. This is, if it's still connected to the story, which seems to be the case in Critical Role, then it would still be a dungeon. Three, leash. Think of a dog in one of those extended leashes. They can go beyond the bounds, sniff things the GM didn't expect them to sniff, but it is limited, and they have that cord back to the main plot around their necks so that they can't really waste time. That's when I, I'm, I love. Four, glitter. The PCs get everywhere, and they're there forever. You have vacuumed five times, but you still keep finding them in your carpet. So I guess, like, just everywhere, anywhere. I, yeah, you can just go wherever. I mean... And it just doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the story, I think, is the last one. Where yeah. it's like, they just go places and you make up ideas about it. Yeah. I was re- listening, as we were going through this, I'm like, I described my GM style as like, I throw the PCs in a dark room and I tell, like a, a room with no lights on, I tell them to get out. And I know they're going to exit the other door on the other side. How they get there, no one knows. What's in the room? I don't know. Yeah. We'll find out together, I guess. Yeah. So, like, I guess I want to say it's, like, Faded and Leash for my, like, game, like, running style, where it's, like, I promise you, you will do the plot I want you to do at some point. Mm -hmm. How we all get there, we'll find out together. Here, I'll finish the email, and then I'll talk about, like, what I think it might be. Here, or kind of time, can be labeled as Scripted Leash, whereas Breath of the Wild would be Faded Glitter. This is a much clearer classification. I mean... I mean, Steffi, I don't know about clearer, but entertaining. Then they are both railroady and sandboxy, but one is more sandboxy than the other. I don't actually use these classifications myself. I tell the players where the sand pit walls are, often telling them, asking them to build something in the sand. Then I make a railroad to take my villains to victory with the intention the players will knock them off. I have been using this explanation for my gaming style for years, and people seem to understand what I mean. So it's not the terms itself, but how we use them. Kimmy talked about roller coaster as a possible term for the railroads where your friend should just write a book. I can see the GM telling potential players that their railroad is a roller coaster, so strap in and enjoy the ride. It will get rid of all those dramatic thespians and lure in those min-maxers who just want to kick indoors. Kill the monsters and take their stuff. And isn't that the point of labeling things to find the people that will like them? For that, we need to use terms that people are familiar with, but add context and clarity. These min-maxers won't understand or care to learn what the scripted bottle is, but will quickly pick up on roller coaster, same as the dramatic thespians. Ending, not Steffi from Scotland or Steffi on the Discord who ma- emails in far too frequently. I'm sure it's not you, Steffi. Definitely not Steffi. Definitely not Steffi. But I mean, like, we do like Steffi. Yeah, we do like Steffi. Yes. And they're from Scotland, so that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I have post-crafting disorder with glitter, like... I stress out about it. Like, I've told this story before. I think I've told you. I don't know if I told it on the podcast, but one summer, a couple summers ago, I was moonlighting with the Imagineers over in Burbank, working on some stuff for the Frozen ride that's in Florida now. My job was Elsa Glitter. So for 40 hours a week for a really long period of time, I sat all day, full work day, listening to podcasts and like putting a tight because they like it had to be actual glitter. So putting a dot of glitter on a specific spot on the outfit and glittering it and spot of glitter, dot of glue, glitter, dot of glue, glitter, wait till it dries, gently brush it off. And then when it was all done, I had to like spray it with like the the setting spray. Like people knew which stall I used in the bathroom because there was literally a trail of glitter from the frozen area 
to the restroom, to the stall that I used and like back. It was like, there's a lot of glitter there. And I still find it in my car, like still to this day, years later, it's been vacuumed a whole lot and it's still there. So like when I think like glitter story, I think of, uh, yeah, I don't think trauma. Yeah, no, I don't want a glitter story. Oh God. So I, I understand your intent, Steffi, but stress. I don't know. I, don't, I, feel, I feel like these are pretty good. I love glitter. <laughs> I know it's so pretty. <laughs> But I'm very careful with it now. It's very controlled. People don't like glitter because they can't control glitter. And that's on them. Ah! I love glitter. Chaos energy is getting on me. Keep your chaos energy over there. (laughs) (laughs) I nearly lost a friend once because I glittered his door as a prank because he bailed for like Easter egg decorating in college. And we had glitter eggs and we had the leftover sack of glitter. So we're like, let's just rub it on his dorm room door handle. And... Then he didn't talk to me for like a year. (laughs) You have to wonder, like, in that situation, like, he didn't notice the glitter on his doorknob. So what did he do after that that made him so angry with the glitter? Where did the glitter get? It got on his audition suits. Oh, okay. That's legit. I mean, they're for auditions. You're fine. Also, lint rollers do are right. will will solve yeah. your glitter you, Yeah, if you have audition suits, you should have lint rollers. Like that's a thing. I was like, maybe you should have shown up. Yeah, <laughs> maybe you should have just decorated <laughs> goddamn eggs, friend. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I am. I feel like I don't know. Mine changes. I'm very branching. I am very branching in my stories. I almost never actually have like a big bag planned at the end. I make it up as I go. And like, as we get there, I'm like, oh, this is a, this seems like this is the direction my players are going in. This is what we'll do. I, I don't know with the last, I'm not glitter. I, I probably am <laughs> glitter, but I don't, I don't, will not be glitter. I'll be leash. I feel like I go in, like, I feel like I have to go in with a plan. Like, again, mm-hmm. I like the idea of everything's faded because like, y'all don't know what's behind my GM screen. You don't know what's behind, it's on my Google Drive. Like, you don't know <laughs> what I've planned. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's definitely, a million different options that you could do. Yeah. Most of the time, the bad guy is behind every door, though, just because why make me do extra work? That makes sense. But I like to pretend that I, like, plan a lot more than that. And most of the time, like, when players introduce things into the world, it's inspiring enough to branch off from that. So, mm-hmm. like, I like seeing what players, like, players on a leash will sniff at. Mm-hmm. Also, because your players will not have fun if, unless you all really agreed on it, I feel like players won't, won't have as much fun if you've built a world for them and they go, oh my God, I really want to know more about the religion. And you go, can't talk about the religion. Got to go this way. And they're like, but I want to talk about the world religion here. And yeah. you're like, can't talk about it. Go this way. Because they've expressed what they're interested in and you're not, I guess they're going to enjoy fighting the orcs, but they've clearly told you what they want. You should probably listen and work with them. Yeah. I think it brings up different things for when you're running a game for table too, mm-hmm. as opposed to when you're designing an adventure, because when you're designing an adventure, you only have so much space. Yeah. So it's, it kind of has to be linear or faded depending on your word space, or if you're doing a video game, just how much space they have in the game. And I usually want to put in caveats like if X, then Y, and here's a bunch of different endings that could have happened. Mm -hmm. There's places that things can go wrong, but the ending is almost always going to be the ending or one of two things in most adventures that you buy, just because they're there to give the person running it a guide. (laughs) Yeah. And they want that if they're buying the adventure. Something I've really fallen in love with, with free league games 
at least their one ring stuff, is they have a system they call the landmark system. So they have some source books that they have, like literally you open up the map and there's like numbers on it. And then you look in the book and it tells you what's in that place. So I feel like I'm a landmark GM. I think I've always done that. And finding a source book that was written and formatted that way was just like, oh, this is how my brain works. This is great. So then like literally wherever the players go, you can pick and choose what things like they'll run into or that you want to throw into the story. Some of them are like small things like, oh, there's a little bunch of orcs living in a cave right here. So it's like a one thing encounter. Some of them are like big things that you could tie into each other and the lore of the world and stuff like that. So I really like that approach where it's it's not quite glitter. Like people can wander around and do whatever they want, but there's also things that are already planned there. And then you've got that source material there. So you're not having to create everything whole cloth, but as a GM, I can really customize it really easily. I love that layout. And I think I'm actually going to adopt that for future stuff that I write for my games too. And yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I do like the being able to, I, like they did this with MMOs. Are you an explorer? A fuck, what do they call? I, I can't remember the categories now, but they did this where they did come up with like a taxonomy of gamers. Mm-hmm. And I really liked that just in a, or, ooh, haha. So I really loved in 4E, in D&D 4E, the classification of, for combat of leader, oh, controller. It. Yeah. Oh, good. Ooh. Oh, the Bartle taxonomy of player types. Yeah. Achievers, socializers, and explorers. Yes. Yeah. And I think I love that for MMOs. And I, I will say, and in like 4E, I really loved that they had leader, controller, Fuck, I can't remember the other two right now. Mm -hmm. But I love being able to sit. It would be kind of cool to be able to sit down at a game and be like, hey, I'm a this, I'm this kind of game runner. Or like if you're looking for a game, it's like this is a highly railroady kind of style, you know, Mm -hmm. game. The same way we have genres and content warnings to help us pick things. It would be nice to be able to be like, oh, I love playing with Kimmy. Kimmy is very like linearly oriented, but still allows, but linear but works with landmarks and Mm -hmm. i can go okay cool that's the kind of person i want to play with Mm -hmm. and it's i think it's really cool to have a like a a taxonomy just to be like oh cool clara is like because you can say like clara's a goblin and everyone's like yeah that's about right yeah and then you know what to expect at a table yeah but like you don't always know what to expect what that means for a gm or like when you're coming in to play a game yeah there is i forget what it was called and i've said it on the thing and people in the chat before i've said it but like Long, long time ago, there was a very short-lived sci-fi series where it was like post-apocalyptic and like people had invented like youth serum, but it turned part of the population into like these animals, like it devolved them. And then the rest became these amazing, like really smart beings, but it they had to reproduce in a certain way. So you could only pair with people who had the same, like a certain genetic thing. So everybody had a color embedded right here. It was very weird. It's just, and this is like a thing I saw as a kid. So I have like half memories of it. So like if you had blue and I had blue, we could be in a relationship together because we possibly would procreate. Mm-hmm. And so it was like color-coded. Everyone was like color-coded for their romantic relationships. So like super weird and creepy, but I, it would be interesting if like there was some sort of like badge you could wear at a con that was like, this is my play style. I'm trying to stay away from like JK Rowling bullshit. Like I don't want to, so, yeah, so, so I'm going to like, even worse examples, but I can't actually cite them. And it's like an old, out-of-date sci-fi like thing. So I feel like I'm not promoting someone who could actively profit right now. So I don't know if it's less worse, but okay. 
but yeah, it's it would be nice to be able to walk into to like walk into a con or like if you're talking about your friend or you're trying to like bring them into a game. Yeah, like, yeah, he's just a very adventure player, which means he's not going to bend to anything and he's yeah. kind of a dick. Yeah, like that's just how, like it kind of works. It kind of doesn't. Yeah. I don't know. I do miss having a universal language that not universal, but like. I do miss having a, a widely accepted pop culture uh, touchstone for the kind of person that you are that isn't astrology. Yeah. Um, just if anyone figures out a new one, let me know. Cause we'll work on it. We'll get there eventually. You I know, need, Divergent yeah. tried. Divergent yeah. tried. And it's like, as much as we don't want to want, D, like, as much as I want everyone to play games that aren't d and I'd be kind of nice to be like, oh, you're a bard. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's sort of like, the closest thing we have to like universal stuff that is closer now yeah i don't know i feel like like adding classifications to what stuff he said i feel like i'm a landmark menu gm like it's like my players sit down i have like a menu of things and it's like oh here's there's this happening and there's this happening in the world and these are the rumors you've heard and blah 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 so they're like i'll have the spaghetti and meatballs because i said that before and i must really want spaghetti and meatballs i haven't eaten today i am gonna do that spaghetti and meatballs And then like, okay, so then like the spaghetti and meatballs then puts them on the map and then they start down and then it's like, then the landmark kicks in. And then when they get to this landmark, they can like choose from the menu of options. I don't know. I feel like that's a good description. Yeah. It's not glitter, which is my most important criteria right now because I'm traumatized. <laughs> Trauma. I like I my darkened room analogy. Yeah, it's just a dark room. Get out of it. We'll figure it out together. <laughs> I threw some other things in there. I know I did. Yeah. So if you find 100%. them, let me know. Yes. <laughs> All right. I think. I was just saying, I what about you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What, what kind of GM are you, Jess? Oh, God. It depends because a lot of times, like professionally, I do one shots. Yeah. And the two that I run all the time are a pillion, which is really open. But at the same time, there's a clear ending point. Mm-hmm. Or Bluebeard's Bride, which is like the most linear PBTA game there is. You're exploring rooms and then you go to the final room and then it's done. Mm-hmm. In my campaigns that I almost never run anymore, I would say probably linear or faded. There's stuff going on that they don't know about. Yeah, I'd say probably faded with glitter. (laughs) (laughs) A leash, maybe? I don't know. I always check in and see, like, where do you want to be doing with Stars mm-hmm. and Wishes after each session, right? Like, where do you want to go? Yeah. And mm-hmm. if where they want to go takes them from somewhere different than what I had planned, sometimes I reassess the plan mm-hmm. and we come to that together. So maybe glitter, maybe leash, but also I... A glittery leash. A glittery leash. leash. Yeah, like yeah. one of the leashes that, like, has, like, been made like fairly cheaply so the glitter's constantly falling off of it so you have both so you've got like the glitter on everything and the leash it's like yeah i mean it's rare that i've had a player throw something at me that i couldn't roll with yeah even if i just had to say like give me a few minutes (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh i need a bathroom break one moment hold on everybody go get a drink real quick yeah. So many um, so whatever they want to do, as long as it makes sense and everybody else is game for it. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like I feel like that's like the big thing that you need when you're running games is just the ability to go, yeah, I gotta take a 15-minute bathroom break. Let's <laughs> do it. All right. I think that's the end. We've been yeah. it's a very long episode, but thank you so much <laughs> for being here, Jess. It's been amazing. Really? Thank you so much for having me. It's been so fun. <laughs>
All right. Thank you for joining us for season 32, episode five of the Happy Jacks RPG podcast. Please support our amazing Indie Designer of the Month, Jessica Markham, who's here with us tonight. You can find her games at angrynerdgirl.itch.io. And thank you to our chat mod, James V, and to our amazing Patreons who keep us ad-free and independent. You can join their ranks at happyjacks.org slash Patreon. My name is Kimmy. I'm Clara. Oh, gosh. And I'm Jess. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I didn't warn you about that before the thing. Yeah. And if you are one of our Patreons, you will be getting a game paid for by us from Jess this month and also a cool interview with her with some written questions and answers that will be shared on the Patreon. And tonight, we're going to leave you with a song. This is Side Quest by our friends, the Dread Crew of Oddwood, who play heavy metal pirate rock on acoustic instruments. And they are awesome. And you can find them at thedreadcrewofoddwood.com because they thought that was a good idea for a URL. So thank you all so much, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.
This show is a product of the Happy Jacks RPG Network. The Mary Sues performed our intro music, and our ending song was played with the express permission of the artist. Visit happyjacks.org for more information and to find all our streams and podcasts. 